Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. This week, guest speaker, Pastor Justin Bolden of Reconcile Church, shares a message of hope from the book of Zephaniah. Let's hear what God's Word has for us with guest pastor, Justin Bolden. So my hope this morning, um, as I've been privileged to bring the message for you today, is that you will be encouraged as both individuals and as a community. And I titled this sermon, Child of God. It's behind me right here. We're going to be in Zephaniah 3. So I ain't go front. I titled it Child of God after the Chance the Rapper song. Like straight up, I'm just going to put it out there. Because um, when I was listening to it, it made me think of y'all. It actually made me think about y'all and, T- and TK's story and where I've watched the Lord lead y'all. It also made me think about what scripture the Lord would want me to share with you this morning. It, it, he led me to Zephaniah 3. Now, I know Ramon spent quite a few weeks walking through the book of Jonah with you guys. So I'm sure y'all are like, man, we in another minor prophet. <laughs> but I believe the Lord has some wisdom we can all glean from this book and how it will help move us towards realizing the dream he birthed in Antoine and Tanya six years ago, or six plus years ago and how we're watching it come to fruition right now. So to quote Chance and give you all the main idea to take away from you today, it's this. Do your thing, child. Just do your thing. All right. So open up your Bibles to the book of Zephaniah, and we're going to look at the first point I want us to kind of look at, and it's a father's wrath, which doesn't sound friendly, but we're going to talk about it. So Zephaniah 3, if you got it, say amen. If you don't, say ouch. And we'll wait. We can wait. Give you all just a minute. Well, as you're turning there, let me just give you a little backstory, right? So Zephaniah... The prophet, this book that we're looking at this morning, it takes place during the reign of King Josiah of the southern kingdom. And this is roughly about 80 years after the northern kingdom had been invaded and conquered by the Assyrians. And they had all, the southern kingdom had all fell victim uh, to straying away from following God and living in sinful rebellion against his law. So they just out here wilding like the northern kingdom was. And, and honestly, they hadn't really learned a lesson. They're like, God had told the, look, I'm going to, bring the Syrians in, right? And they saw it happen, and you know what? They was like, that sucks for them, but we good over here, right? So here's what's crazy. If you go back, it's in 2 Kings. Don't turn there. But in 2 Kings, we see it's like in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. Uh, Hilkiah the priest found in the temple a copy of the book of the law that had been ignored for decades, right? And when he read it to the king, Josiah, it said, was broken, he humbled himself before the Lord and rent his clothes and wept. That's 2 Kings 22, verse 19. So over the next 18 years, Josiah leads this amazing reformation in Judah based on the law of God. Um, if you go on your time, I would encourage you to go back to 2 Kings, read the story. But God and his people, uh, Josiah renews the covenant between God and his people. He took all the vessels of Baal and Asherah out of the temple and burned them in the fields of Kindron. He deposed the idolatrous priest. He broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes. He removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. And he reinstituted the Passover that had been ignored since the days of the judges. So we often hear people talk like, let's pray for revival. There was revival happening in the southern kingdom. And honestly, I want to make a quick point here. There is power in the word of God. 
Let me say that again. There is power in the word of God. We see here how it had the power to transform king and country and lead them back to a pathway towards redemption and restoration. It's crazy. The same thing happens in the book of Nehemiah. Remember Ezra, read the scribe, grabbed a copy of the law that they had found and he read it out loud to the people. And it leads them and empowers them towards the rebuilding and restoration of the kingdom. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you find yourself or your church in a place where everything feels broken and hopeless, there is an opportunity to draw from the power source that can heal. There's an opportunity that will bring beauty from ashes, and it's found right here, right? We have it. And this is important for us in the context of our passage today because much of the book of Zephaniah, the word God gave to that prophet to deliver, was of the impending wrath that God was going to pour out on the nations, including Israel. So look at with me at Zephaniah chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1. And here we go. We're going to jump in. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust know no shame. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. Then your dwelling will not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Yeah, that is not a pretty picture. What could have sparked God's anger that he sent the prophet to warn the people of that doom that was going? What could have prompted him to say, Zephaniah, you need to go talk to your people? Actually, I should correct that. You need to go talk to my people, right? Because he's speaking directly to Israel right here. What could have sparked his anger? Well, if you go back and you read Zephaniah from the beginning, there's three things. They were desiring to be like those that didn't know God. They were filling their master's house with violence and fraud. And they were removing God as a practical part of their life or basically complacent living. And these words, I think, heed us a great warning this morning because if we're honest, can we not spot those same warning signs in our own lives? How many of us are killing ourselves out here trying to obtain and grab hold of things that the world elevates as desirable but are opposed to the ways of God? How many of us are, are taking up residence in the house of God, but filling it with hatred, 
antagonism, deceitful practices towards our own family and those who may be outside. Do we too worship other gods while professing faith in Yahweh? Like what if God interrupted us in our daily life? What would God find if he showed up? Do we do our actions match our faith? Do we live in a state of readiness of God's presence to enter our midst? Like, are we ready for him to show Like when he says, I will show up, are we ready for him to show up? Or instead, do we live in the indifferent conviction that God will neither do harm nor good? Let me ask the question and take it a little further this morning. How many churches can those statements be made about? How many churches are more enticed to leverage themselves for political or economic power over people instead of giving themselves away in sacrificial service? How many churches are beating the drums of pharisaical grandstanding, proclaiming themselves as defenders of the faith, all the while leaving this wake of spiritual devastation and destruction to those who are desperate for the hope found in the God they claim to represent? How many churches' actions back up the words they say when they boldly claim to follow the way of Jesus? TK, this is why it's so vital for you to ground yourself in the word of God and the power it produces through the indwelling Holy Spirit of this house. Because a hopeless and desperate world is looking anxiously for this beacon of refuge from the impending wrath that every one of us can feel is coming. You, like, you don't have to be a church person to know that something's broken, right? You don't have to be a church person to know that the world is jacked up. And everyone, and I mean everyone, knows it. And God's told us why it is and what is going to happen, and he's given us this opportunity to proclaim the hope that is found in him. And this is why I believe the beginning of chapter three, look, look, I, Antoine told me, right? He's like, look, it's a six, because, you know, I'll, just, I'll keep it real with y'all. So, like, I, Antoine hit me up, one day, I was like, all right, what you want me to preach? Like, y'all, like, in something, you know what? It's like free for all, which is scary with me, because if you know me, there ain't no telling what I might do. He was like, man, sixth birthday celebration, just something encouraging, uplifting. So I could have skipped this whole part. <laughs> We could have just started at like verse 14 and it'd been great. But I think it's vitally important we begin here of God warning the nation of Israel not to get it twisted, that his wrath will be poured out and they will be included in it. Because too often we think we good, right? Like we in the church, we good, like we're going to be immune to God pouring that wrath out. But... Here's the beauty. We're going to keep going. Because <laughs> if I stop there, y'all be like, man, I don't want no birthday cake now. <laughs> but here's the beauty of God, and it's going to lead us to the second point this morning, is that lest we were overcome with dread and fear, as we keep reading the word of the prophet beginning in verse 9, we'll see the next point, and we're going to focus on the Father's grace. All right. So look at me in verse 9. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. 
that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. For beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed one shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. and You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. And that just means prideful, not a hottie you might see on the street. Just need to clear that up. Because my southern twang might be messing that word up a little bit. <laughs> but he's going to take the hotties away too. Anyway, but verse 12. But I will leave in your midst the people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge, check this, in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies. Nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Who needs that right now? Yeah, every one of us, right? See, in verses 9 and 10, we see God say, right, he's going to transform the speech of those around the earth, that they will all proclaim his glory. Now, that word in the Hebrew for all, I looked it up, it means all. That's all of them, right? Like every nation, tribe, tongue will proclaim the glory of our God. And then he continues in verse 11, we're told that God will remove and strip away all of those things that we have clung to, which led us astray in the first place. He's like, all that stuff y'all fought over to try to keep hold of that, that you, you know, try to wrestle away from. He's like, I'm just going to take it away. Because the truth is, I had kids. The best way to get them quit fighting over a toy, take it away from them. <laughs> now they can't fight over it. He's like, I'm going to just even, I'm going to take all that stuff away. But, and this is so important, right? He says, we will not be put to shame for our willful rebellion, right? He's not going to, like, hold it over our heads, he says, because we see in verse 12 and 13 that he will leave behind a humble people who seek refuge in the name of the Lord. The word there in the Hebrew is Jehovah. He says, they will be left behind in Israel and they will be doers of good and doers of justice, and they will not fear any enemies around them. Now, I know the question every one of y'all are asking right now. You want to ask me, I know it. We're not citizens of Israel. We are not Jewish by birth. So how is this good news for us? Well, I am glad you asked that question this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3 real quick. You know what's funny? This is a side note while I'm turning there. Everybody uses Bible apps now. Used to it'd be like all these ruffling pages. When I was growing up in the little small church, you hear everybody turning the pages. Now it's like, I'm just scrolling. I'm scrolling. I ain't gonna, I mean, I do it most of the time too. I needed my Bible for my illustration today. So. No. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. This is what Paul writes. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this is it. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
This is the grace and the power of the gospel right here. That Christ, when he went to the cross, went into the grave and three days later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was raised to life, signifying that he had conquered sin and death. Paul says that in that moment, the veil was torn, that the access that was not granted to God before for those who were outside, that now we have all been ushered in through the blood of Jesus Christ. This mystery that the people in Zephaniah's day did not understand, but now we can fully grasp and understand through the power of the Holy Spirit, that every one of us right now in this room, in Christ, through Christ, have full access to this great promise of grace. This promise of refuge, this, this promise of rest that is found in, as he says, Jehovah, the God who exists. TK, this is why you must be a people who are overwhelmed and transformed by this truth. Because there are way too many of you in here right now, I know, who are walking through each day struggling to understand how God could possibly extend this scandalous grace towards you. You have been carrying around this heavy burden of guilt for the things you have done in your past. You're constantly walking around trying to hide the brokenness you are experiencing in the here and now. There are those of you in here who have a constant weight of hopelessness around your neck, constantly robbing you of the true joy that God wants you to experience. So look at me. I want you to all look at me right now. There is not one person in here, not one person in here, no matter race, no matter addiction, no matter sexual identity, or any other thing that the world would try and tell you that would make you undesirable, that could ever separate you from the love and grace of God. The blood of Jesus is strong enough and powerful enough to cover any and everything. Period. And this is why that chant song made me think of y'all. And I'm going to read it because I ain't chance. But he said, at every corner store, bodega delicatessen stands a big head kid learning delicate lessons. Roasted for their clothes or their emotions or their roaches. Bullied by their friends or their mamas or their coaches. Half-sized, chastised, dogs with glass eyes. Talk down, toss down, the world just passed by. Grow up to be saviors, surgeons, rabbis. The world should have capsized when God got baptized. See, God often will use the things that are shamed by the wise to shame the wise. Let me say that again. God will often use the things that are shamed by the wise to shame the wise. God often does miraculous and life-changing acts through those who are often overlooked and outcast. So many people, so many churches spend so much energy trying to make God's grace inaccessible and out of reach to so many. They try to create this, this air of exclusivity, right, that is just completely antithetical to Jesus and the cross. The truth of the cross, the cross was the ultimate equalizer, right? It was the symbol given to proclaim that none of us are so far outside the grace of God that he can't save us. I need y'all, like, I need y'all to believe that this morning. 
That if you have put your faith in the finished work of Jesus, then God has called you his child. You are a child of God. TK, we need you to be a church that is that refuge, that is truly a refuge for those who are left broken and hopeless. Do your thing, child. Just do your thing. Man, a father's grace is a beautiful thing. And honestly, if that was all he had for us, would that not be enough? But guess what? God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. God is so good, y'all. He said, watch this. Look at verse 14 with me as we finish our time this morning. And we're going to look at a father's love. Verse 14 says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. That is good news. I mean, verse 14, he says, he he calls Israel to rejoice and exult, right? He calls, now I want you to see this, O daughter of Jerusalem, he calls his people his child. They are his children. This is a father's love being demonstrated out. Verse 15, he takes away all the judgments against you. I want you to hear me when I say this. If you are in Christ and you have that little voice inside your head that's constantly trying to bring up your past, trying to remind you, of how far you have fallen away from God's grace, I want you to know that's not God. The Bible tells us that there is, in those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. So you can rest assured that it is not the Holy Spirit telling you, you messed up. Now, I should take that back. You might have messed up, but you ain't kicked out the house. You see what I'm saying? Right? You're never so far gone that God's like, I can't do anything else with you. He says, if you are in Christ, you are mine. Verse 16, right? On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not let your hands grow weak. TK, do not let your hands grow weak. What God has called you into, he never promised was going to be easy. He never promised it wasn't going to be messy. He never promised that you might not get hurt along the way. None of that was promised, but you know what he did promise? That it was all going to be worth it. Because what we're working for is not TK's glory. 
We're working for God's glory. And that's the thing. Like, this is why it, like, trips me out sometimes around church people. Church people should not be the most miserable people on the planet. Right? Like, because here's the fact that this is what I know. Church people, unchurched people, it don't matter where you're at. We all going to go through some things in life. Uh, I heard one pastor say this way. Nobody gets out of this thing without bleeding. You see what I'm saying? Like, like you're going to go through some stuff. So, I mean, that in and of itself is the great equalizer. Like, none of us are immune to death, disease, uh, trials, tribulation, none of this. But we have an opportunity when we walk through those things. To display something to the world watching that there is something different about those people. And I don't know what it is, but somehow what should have uh, defeated them only makes them stronger. And in that moment, that's where we have the platform to elevate and proclaim the glory of God. Because it's not that we ain't hurting, which we need to get that out the way, too. We have to be vulnerable. Too often people come into, like, I spend most of my time around non-church people. And the common denominator through all of my conversations and questions they ask me, because they know I'm a pastor, is this. They feel like they don't belong in the church because everybody in the church seems to have their stuff together. But here's what I know to be true. As a pastor, we don't. We are jacked up, too. Like, for real. I'm including myself in this. Like, like we all struggle. Man, you know, if, God, it, like, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus and the grace of God, I would be hopeless. I mess up on the daily. I often fall short of what God has called me to do as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. But the beauty is that I don't have to fear that he's going to somehow, like, pour out this wrath, kick me out the house, and, like, I'm done with it. He's like, look, I got that covered, too. Like, the cross was for all. Every sin. I want you to hear this. Every sin. Past, present, and the ones you're going to do in the future. When, you're, when your Panthers lose today and they weren't supposed to. Right? Like... When my Cowboys win the Super Bowl and y'all all upset, like, y'all going to be like, gonna be like, surely there is no God. I promise you there's still a God, right? <laughs> but every sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. There is nothing you can do that could ever separate you from that love. And if that wasn't enough, verse 17 might be one of my favorite verses. This is like the climactic moment for me. I'm a, I'm a worship guy. Sorry. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. If you know anything about the manifest presence of God, go back and do a little personal study time on the manifest presence of God. When, when David would pray that not just like I know God's here, like God show up. Right. Like the, the cloud of fire and, and uh, uh, the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. Right. Like. The, pre- the actual God in their presence. God says, I will be in your midst. A mighty one who will save. And it says, check this out, right? Because remember, we jacked up. We are messed up. And God says, 
our messed up selves, our broken selves, that he will rejoice over us with gladness. That he will exult over us with loud singing. Let me tell you a little something. I grew up in a little Southern Baptist church in the middle of a small town, North Carolina. And I've learned over the years that Baptist church means different things to different people. So where I come from, my Baptist upbringing, (laughs) definitely no dancing and definitely no loud singing. It was more more of a reserved kind of thing, right? This is where it's hard for me sometimes because of how I grew up to grab a hold of stuff. But then I have friends who grew up Pentecostal. Right? And I've been fortunate enough through the years to be in those spaces. So now I know what loud singing sounds like. Right? It says that God himself over you, over me, in all of our brokenness and all of our rebellion and everything we've done, that he will sing over us with loud singing. Can you feel that wonder today? What would it sound like to hear God sing? Like, we, I don't think we can fathom it, right? It'd be like, I don't even know. You can mix everything you wanted to, like the, the roar of the ocean with the, I don't know. Like, I can't even think of it, right? Like a volcanic eruption. And yet somehow it's still like soft and tender. You know what I'm saying? Like, what would it sound like for God to hear God actually sing? And how, what, what could cause the God of the universe to sing over us? There's only one thing. And he tells us in verse 12, right? He said it. That they, the ones that he sings over, the ones that he exalts, the ones that he blesses, that protects, and all that, he says, they will seek refuge in the name of Jehovah. If you are in Christ, if you have proclaimed to, and I want so I come from the place where this was like this weird religious, I don't know, like magic Prayer, right? The sinner. How many of you have heard the, called the sinner's prayer? Like that's the environment I grew up in, right? Like pray the sinner's prayer, and now you're good, right? And that's how I live my life. This was not going to be part of my sermon, but I can't help it. So, what does that even mean to be in Christ? Because I think this is what I often think many of us think. I got to pray that prayer, but then I have to like memorize the Bible. And know what God says to do and what he says not to do. And I got to make sure I do all these things to make sure I'm like on the good side of God, right? I feel like that's how most of us interpret it. But the reality is this. To place your faith in Christ is to literally rest and have confidence to know that he's already done the work for you. Because how freeing is it when I don't feel like I have to perform To keep God's grace. And that is kind of what I want to leave you with today. Because God is now rejoicing over you with singing. 
And I know what you're saying. I am too guilty. There's no way he would sing over me because of the things I've done. But will you not believe verse 15 where it said the Lord has taken away the judgments against you? Can you not then feel the wonder that God is singing over you this morning? Some of you are in here this morning saying, I am surrounded by enemies. He can't possibly be singing over me because there's far too much coming against me in my life. But would you not believe verse 17 that says the Lord is a warrior who gives victory. In verse 19 that says, behold, at that time, I will deal with your oppressors. And verse 15 says, he has cast out our enemies. Can you not feel then that the Lord is singing over you this morning? Some of you in here are saying, I hear what you're saying, but right now I think God is just way too distant. Like I can't, he's, he's not near me. I can't feel his presence. He's too far away. But would you not believe verse 15 when it says the king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. And verse 17 says the Lord, your God is in your midst. He is not far from you. There's an old song. The God on the mountain is also the God in the valley. Do you believe that to be true today? Because if you do, then know that God is singing over you. And finally, some of you in here are just saying, I'm just completely enslaved to shame. Like, I've tried to get my life right, but I just can't shake the feeling of this feeling of sadness and regret of all the things that I've done. Maybe you've been endlessly belittled by your parents or family. Maybe you've been scoffed at by people or or threatened and manipulated. You've been abused. You've been slandered. Even in that cocoon of shame that you've wrapped yourself in, the singing of God sounds too faint and too far away and you can't really make out what it is. But again, I ask you, will you not believe the promise at the end of verse 19? I will save the lame and I will gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise. Into praise and renown in all the earth. Can you not then feel the wonder that the Lord sings over you this morning? Think kingdom. When you are a people who are transformed by this truth, when this sinks in and takes root at like the, 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 um, I call it the gut, right? Like the, the, the old Jewish people would refer to it as like the heart, right? The center of who, like not heart, like your organ heart, but like, like the center of like who you are, like who you are. When this truth like takes root there, when you can't be like moved or shaken from it, right? No matter what comes at you. That church, that family of people, that community 
Watch what God does in Kannapolis. And not only Kannapolis, but to, he says to the ends of the earth. Through which, I mean, like, your pastor is not here this morning because y'all have graciously been like, yeah, cool, you can let Justin come up here while you go train, what is he, 17? Like, think about that. 17 future pastor, families, leaders of communities. Like, I want you to see how God works. Because so often we'll take that approach that, like, what could he do with little old me? But what did he do with little old everything in the Bible? A few loaves of bread and some fish, what did he do? What did he do with the little shepherd boy? When they were facing the Philistines and their great giant. God don't need much. All he needs is someone who's willing. Who's able to submit themselves and say, here I am, Lord, send me. TK, that I believe is your destiny. I told you I grew up in little Baptist church, so we didn't really operate in the uh, spiritual gifts of miraculous nature. So I typically try to stray away, but I, I really believe God has positioned you and equipped you for something great. The family you have leading this church, the people that I know already who are here, who I've watched in action, God has amazing things in store for this family. And I'm not saying like I think it might have, like I know it. Only thing, the only question I have for you as we end this morning is this. Are you willing to let him use you? That was guest speaker, Pastor Justin Bolden of Reconciled Church, sharing a message with us from the book of Zephaniah. If you are blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you are in Charlotte or surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina. Sundays at 1033. You can also join us online Sundays at 1033 on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and also check us out on Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can go back to hear this message and so many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.